0: Today is going to be such an awesome Sunday. I am such a fan of Jesus. Yes. Got my Jesus popcorn. Got my Jesus juice. Woo. Yes. You know, what should I call Jesus today? Oh, I got it. I will call him Lord because he is Lord of my life. Yeah. Jesus, you're here. I knew you would be here. You know, I know that verse. You know, it says where two or more are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst. Look at this, Jesus. Cleveland Browns, I know you're a Browns fan. Jesus, don't give me that. Look, look. The Browns out there, they get crucified every week just like you. You've got to be a Browns fan. Thank you for being here today, Jesus. Follow me. Well, of course I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Uh, Look, I'm here. It's Sunday. You're here. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Don't worry about that. Follow me. Jesus, I said I will follow you. Um, Remember, just a few minutes ago, I'm here. What more could you want from me? Follow me. Lord. Lord. Listen, Lord, I love you. I will follow you always. Don't worry. I'll follow you, but where are we going? Follow me. This way, Jesus? Are you sure we want to go this way? Jesus, Jesus, wait. Look at all these people. You might make me love them. They're sinners. I can't be as bad as them. Isn't there an easier way, Jesus? Why do you keep calling me Lord and not do what I say? I'm going to go this way. It looks easier. Why do you keep calling me Lord and not do what I say? Pretty heavy words. I think for a lot of us. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being able to be here and open up your word. We thank you for ministering to us today through the music. Speak through me now, Father. Help me to communicate what you have placed on my heart. I ask this in your name. Amen. Probably kind of confused, if you weren't here last week, why we've got all these jerseys up and why I've got a jersey on. We start in a new sermon series called Fan or Follower to decide, to determine which one you are. Luke 9.23 says this, and he said to them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross Daily. And follow. Me. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Many people today. Think they are a follower of Jesus. When they are really. Just a fan. There is a huge difference. Between knowing about Jesus. And knowing Jesus. It's. Just like with an actor or actress. You may know all these facts or all these statistics about your favorite athlete. But that's all you do. You just know about them. You don't actually know them. So are you a follower of Jesus? You're probably sitting there thinking, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I come to church. I put in my tithe. I read my Bible. Sometimes. So, are you a follower of Jesus? Listen, this is not what I am asking. I am not asking this. I am not asking, do you go to church? Church is a wonderful and awesome place. I love coming here. I love that you guys are here. I love that we have visitors today. But you can't live by the Spirit if you only acknowledge God's presence one day a week when you come to church. There's 168 hours in the week and you have chosen this one and a half, two hours to say, I am a follower of Jesus. That's not even 1% of the week. And you expect to be called a follower of Jesus. When we try to follow Jesus without being filled daily with the Spirit, we find ourselves frustrated and exhausted by our efforts. But the truth is this, you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus unless you are filled with the Spirit. Here's something else that I'm not asking. I'm not asking, did you say a prayer one time and ask Jesus into your heart? I'm not asking if you've ever wore witness wear, like a WWJD bracelet or a shirt that says, I love Jesus. Just because you wear one of them does not make you a follower of Jesus. I'm not asking, under religious views on Facebook, did you mark Christ follower? I'm not asking, do you say bless their heart before you speak some bad about someone? It's kind of the thing we do as Christians. I'm not asking, is your ringtone on your phone a worship song? I'm not asking if your parents or your grandparents were Christians. I'm not asking if you have ever raised your hand at the end of the service before and said, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not asking if you've ever listened to a sermon on the way to work. I was listening to a pastor and he was talking about this, and this one really got to me. Because I do that sometimes. I listen to a sermon on the way to work sometimes. And he said, what kind of sacrifice is that? You're already in the car. There's nowhere else you can go. You can either choose to sit in silence, listen to music, listen to a book there's no sacrifice a sacrifice would be turning off the tv at night and listening to the sermon a sacrifice being a follower of jesus would be turning off the tv and reading a book that is going to help you in your walk with christ that would be a sacrifice well i must be a follower of jesus because i went to vbs as a kid and i know all the songs and the hand motions All of that is good. All of these things that I just said are good. But the basic definition of following Jesus means making a significant life change. But Pastor Luke, I can't make a life change right now. I'm comfortable right where I am. And you know, God loves me and he wants me to be comfortable. Really, do you think Jesus was comfortable when he was on that cross dying for your sins? Saying yes to Jesus means saying no to comfort. We're all going to come to a DTR place. If you're married, I know you have already had that DTR moment. If you're dating, either you have had that or you're going to get to it. DTR stands for define the relationship. So you have to sit down and you have to define the relationship. Again, most people here would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. But the reality is this. As fans, we have worn the mask for so long that we've even fooled ourselves. Again, fans have worn the mask for so long that they fooled themselves. A few moments ago when I said, are you a follower of Jesus? You probably thought, well, yes. You know, I come to church. I put my tithe in. I read my Bible. I care about people. I accepted Jesus into my heart. I said, Jesus, you are welcome here. Well, let me tell you something. That's the problem that we get twisted sometimes with the gospel message. is when we say that we accepted Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus accepted you right where you are. There's nothing that you could have ever done to say, Jesus, yeah, you can go ahead. I'll let you in. People say, well, I found Jesus. You found Jesus. Well, I know my God, and I know my Savior, and he has never been hiding. So where were you looking all those years? Because you didn't find Jesus. He was standing there always with his arms wide open. Fans are all about the do, where followers are all about the done. So picture this. You have a coffee date with Jesus. He comes in and he sits down and he says, it's time we define the relationship. He skips all the small talk about how's your day going? What do you need in your life? He says, it's time we define the relationship. Are you one of my followers? Is this relationship exclusive? Are we past just this casual weekend thing? Can I? You come to me with everything and pour your heart out to me? He says, what is our relationship? Are you committed? Sometimes we look at other people's commitments and say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as him. Well, that's kind of like what happened in high school where the person with the lowest grade and the teachers, they graded on a curve. I am so thankful that Jesus did not grade on a curve because if Jesus graded on a curve, we would all still be lost and going to hell. I am so glad he graded on a cross and not a curve. And if you find yourself Measuring yourself against other people, whether you're a follower or not, that's likely a self-indictment. We do this a lot of the times. We say, well, you know, I only listen to this type of music. I've, I've been guilty of this growing up. Well, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't go to parties, so I can't be as bad as that person. You know, when I come to church, I always wear a suit and tie, so I am better than them. Well, this is legalism. And it's a bunch of crap is what it is. It's rules that are made up that aren't even in the Bible that are to make some people feel less. In the Bible, there was people who did this. They were called the Pharisees. And Jesus has an account one day with one. We're going to be in John chapter 3. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. Jesus has an account with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was one of these legalistic persons. The Pharisees, they did this. They said, all right, here are the Ten Commandments. Now let's add other rules to this. So like on remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, they said, well, you are only allowed to take a certain number of steps on the Sabbath, and if you break that, you are breaking God's commandment. That's not what Jesus was about. Looking in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees. So Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, but he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were about 70 men on top of the Pharisees. So they were the, the best of the best. These men, these Pharisees, they were well educated. By the time they were 12, they would have had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. A Pharisee is somebody you would not want to get into a biblical argument or a memory verse argument about because they knew what they were talking. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles except that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered him and said, Verily, verily. Now this word, he's saying, Hey, listen up. This is important. Anytime you see verily, verily, he's saying you've got to pay attention to this because this is super important. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said again, Listen up. I'm telling you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind blows, and where it listeneth, And where do you hear the sound thereof? You can't tell where the wind is coming, and you can't tell when the wind is going. So that is like the person who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? Jesus said unto him, hey, aren't you a Pharisee? Don't you know what the Word says? Don't you know all these prophecies that have been given? Don't you know this? How do you not know what I am talking about? We speak of that which which we don't know and testify which we can't see and receive not our witness. If I have told you of these earthly things about the wind blowing, you wouldn't believe me unless you have seen it. So how can I tell you about heavenly things which you can't see? And no man hath ascended up to heaven in verse 13. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So here we have Nicodemus, a Pharisee who really did not like Jesus. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So Nicodemus starts thinking, maybe there is something to this Jesus. But in verse 2 it says, he came to him at night. Why did Nicodemus go at night? Maybe it's like you and me. We go to Jesus at night, or we go to Jesus when other people can't see it. We're like, well, somebody's watching me right now, so I'm not going to pray for my food. Maybe you took your Bible to work or school. I'm like, well, I was going to read it, but normally there's nobody here in the break room, but there's people here, so I'll just do it later. You know, Nicodemus started thinking, maybe there is something to this Jesus. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go into the other places that we see it, but I'm going to tell you a little story about Nicodemus. So we find two more accounts of Nicodemus. Later on in John, in John chapter 7, Jesus is preaching. He says, if any man thirst, let him come to me for something to drink. People were like, wow, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. And then there were some people who were like, no, no, I don't like what he's doing. So they took Jesus to the high priest and to the Pharisees. And they were going to condemn him Right there, Nicodemus speaks up and says, wait, wait, wait. Aren't we supposed to listen to this person on trial before we judge them? He's starting to have a change of heart. The last time we meet meet Nicodemus is after Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus is going to be buried. And here, Nicodemus has had a change of heart. He spends his hard-earned money on burial spices. And not just a little bit. It's not just like a $20 bouquet. No. The amount of burial spices would accumulate today would be $200,000 worth to put on Jesus. Everyone now would know Nicodemus is a follower of Jesus. For Nicodemus... It would cost him a powerful position. It would cost him the respect of his co-workers. It would cost him the source of his livelihood. It would cost him his friendships. And more than likely, it would cost him some family relationships. Being a secret admirer or a fan of Jesus would have cost Nicodemus nothing. But becoming a A follower of Christ comes with a high price tag. It always does. In Luke 9, Jesus meets three different people who say they want to follow him. The first one comes up to him and says, Master, I will go with you wherever you will go. And Jesus says to him, Okay, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay their head. He says, hey, even these animals know where they're going to sleep. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I don't know where I'm going to get my next meal from. We never heard from that man again. Another one comes up and says, I will follow you. But first, but first, let me go home and bury my father. Here's the thing we get from Jewish tradition. One, Funerals didn't last just one day. It was a week, couple week long process of mourning, of celebration of this person's life. And two, we don't even know for sure if his father was dead yet. So he's saying, hey, once my father and mother die, then I will come back. When my parents die, that's when I'll follow you. We're not sure why he was waiting for them to die. Maybe he was afraid of what they might think of him following this controversial rabbi. Maybe he was afraid of saying, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I won't be carrying on the family tradition. Maybe he was waiting for his inheritance. Whatever the reason, he said, I will follow you. Just not. Right now. How many of us have said that? How many of us are living that? Yeah, Jesus, I'm I'm following you. But when you really look at your life, when you really look at how much time you spend in the Word, when you really look at how much time you spend on your knees in conversation with God, your actions are not lining up with your lips. The third says this. I will follow you. But first, let me go home and tell everyone goodbye. Jesus says to him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. So you can't follow Jesus and look back at the same time. Back in the Old Testament, uh, Elisha went to call Elijah, and he was plowing the fields at the time. And he says, you know, I want you to come and study under me. And here's what this man did. He was plowing the fields with 12 yoke of oxen. So he was a very, very wealthy man. He didn't say, well, let me finish plowing this field. He killed all his oxen. He took his plows and burnt them and built a sacrifice. He said, I will follow you. This life is no more. Let's go. How many of us are looking back at what we did instead of looking ahead at what we can become? I find two interesting things from this passage here in Luke. It's also found in Matthew chapter 8. The first is this. They use the term master or Lord. So when we look at the word Lord, we get a couple different meanings. One of the meanings is this, is they are the master, they are the Lord of your life. So we've got to look at it in terms of the slaves. Back in the Bible times, they would call their master Lord. What they're saying is they are a bond slave. When we are calling Jesus Lord, we are a bond slave. So here's what a bond slave is. A bond slave is somebody who was a slave, but it's not like our American slavery where we made them a slave. So as you were more of an indentured servant. So you owed somebody money for something. Maybe you bought a plow or some oxen off of them. And you couldn't pay for that anymore. So you went to work for them. And after your term was up, you said, hey, I know you love me. And I love your family. You have treated me well. I am going to stay here and work for you. I am now your bond slave. And you are my master. The first person after hearing Jesus say that he doesn't know where he's going to sleep, he leaves. The second two after calling him Lord and saying, you are the master of my life. They say this. They say, but first. They give an excuse. And they want to put something else before Jesus. Jesus says, if I can't be your first, then you cannot be my disciple. I am to be your first. They weren't saying no. They were just saying, eh, not at this time, Lord." When you say when you say yes to Jesus, you aren't saying he is the master and I am the teacher. You are saying he is the master, and I am the slave. That's what it means to deny yourself. I read the story recently of a man named Scott. Scott talks about going to church as a kid and feeling God in his life and feeling God to want him to serve more and go into ministry. And Scott said, you know, Lord... Not at this time, I'm not going to surrender. Maybe after high school, maybe after high school, then I will follow you. Scott graduated high school and went on to college. And again, God once again called Scott. He was calling him to be a committed follower of him. And Scott said, absolutely I will. But first, but first let me graduate college and get a job. So Scott did that. He graduated college. He got a job. And again, he felt God calling him. He said, you know, let me get married, have a family, and settle down. Then, Lord, then, Lord, we'll follow you. So that's exactly what happened. Scott got married. He got an awesome job, which he spent a lot of time at. And they had kids. And eventually... Eventually, him and his wife talked about getting back into church, and it seemed like the right time. For more than 25 years, Scott told Jesus tomorrow. Scott's wife left him, took the kids. But recently, Scott heard the call of Jesus, and he responded, and he has become a completely committed follower of Christ. His story is often one we hear about people saying, you know, I'll get back into church. I'll do that. You know, just not today. I'm young. I want to live my life. People, they put off following Jesus with their whole hearts. And they say, Tomorrow. But I'm really glad that when I got to the end of the story that I found out that Scott was following Jesus. For Scott, he would tell you he lost a lot. In the land of tomorrow. But now he gets to see his kids every other weekend. Which gives him plenty of time for his AA meetings. The land of tomorrow is where you find divorce, addiction, unmanageable debt. In the land of tomorrow you find unfaithful spouses and prodigal children. Scott's problem was that he was comfortable. He was comfortable where he was. A comfort zone is a beautiful place. But here's the thing. Nothing will ever grow there. Saying yes to Jesus means saying no to comfort. There's a strange baptism practice that happened with the Knights of Templar when they were baptized. So when they were baptized, they would have their sword with them. And as they were immersed down in the water, they would hold their sword up in the air and not allow to go into the water with them. So in essence, here's what they were saying. Lord, I am yours, but not this sword. What I do with this sword and what I do on the battlefield... That is still mine. What is your sword that you're holding on to? How many of you are holding on to your wallet and saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I don't want you in my finances until I don't have any money, Lord. Then you can come into my finances. How many of you are holding a remote control and not letting it go with you? You spend so much time in front of the TV. Maybe some of us at the bottle... Maybe some of us, it's a laptop with pornography sites. Maybe some of us, it's our phone that we're not letting go of. What is your sword that you are holding on to? Over 20 times in the New Testament, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. So I think if Jesus says something 20 times, it's pretty important. And he kept saying it over and over again. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't ever call the most qualified people. And that's what I love. So here we have Jesus, a rabbi. Now in those days, the rabbis would always have students or also known as disciples. But there was a very, very strict application process more strenuous than any application you have ever filled out. But what's great about Jesus is he doesn't require you to fill out an application. No, he seeks you out instead of you seeking him out. So here in Matthew chapter 4, go ahead and turn in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple verses. Starting in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately he left, they left the ship and their father and followed him. It says, and straightway, or at once, and immediately. They didn't say, well, Jesus, you know, we're fishing right now. Hey, Jesus, we're trying to fix these nets so our father can make some money. We'll follow you, but first, No. They didn't make any excuses. They answered right away when they were called. Jesus is calling us to be more than a fan. He's calling us to be a follower, completely sold out for him. How long have you been on the fence? How long have you just been playing church? How long has this just been Your casual weekend thing. Oh, it's Sunday. I go to church on Sunday. That's just my thing. Seven days without Jesus makes one week. That's why my favorite game to play is hide and seek. Seeking Jesus at church while I hide the rest of the week. Are you playing hide-and-seek with Jesus? One way fans try to follow Jesus without denying themselves is trying to negotiate the areas of their lives where they don't want him to have access to. They try to negotiate the terms of the deal. I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to sell my possessions. Don't ask me to forgive the people who hurt me because they, they don't deserve it. They hurt me. Don't ask me to save sex for marriage because, you know, I can't handle my desires. Don't ask me to give a percentage of my money because I worked hard for that. And instead of following Jesus with their financial life, they follow Money Magazine. In their relationships, instead of following Jesus... They follow Oprah. In their sex life, instead of following Jesus, they follow Cosmo. They follow Jesus, just not with every area of their life. Here's the thing. People want to get close enough to Jesus to get eternal life, but they don't want to get close enough to Jesus that it costs them a personal life sacrifice. What is Jesus asking you to sacrifice? To become a completely sold out follower of him. I like the story of when Matthew was called. Matthew the disciple. So Matthew was a tax collector. Even worse than what we think of the IRS today. He was hated By the people. And here's the thing with tax collectors that we know about they were thieves. Here's what the tax collector could do you could be going into town to sell a load of stuff, and he could stop you and say, Well, let's see here. You got four bushels of wheat. You got a couple planks of wood. I'm going to tax you 5% on the planks of wood. I'm going to tax you 7% for the wheat. I'm going to tax you 3% for this sugar. And they could charge whatever they wanted. So here's Matthew, a Jew, but working for the Roman government. So not only was he taking their money, but he was one of you. You were supposed to be against the Romans. And yet he's taking your money and giving it to the Romans. And Jesus says, hey, Matthew, follow me says okay let's go he gave up his comfort he gave up his personal sacrifice to follow Jesus I'm going to ask uh, Tyler if you can get this moved what is it that you are holding on to in your life Can Jesus be seen everywhere in your life? And it's hard. It's super hard, I know, to say, yes, Jesus, you can have my finances. Yes, Jesus, you can have my marriage. I'm placing it in your hand. Do people really see Jesus in you? When they look at you, do they say, Yeah, they're a follower of Jesus. They're not just a fan. I can see Jesus throughout every bit of them. This milk here represents us. This chocolate syrup represents Jesus. Once you get a little bit of Jesus in your life, it adds a little bit of sweetness to your life. But I got a question. If you take your phone and you place it in front of you, do people see Jesus in you? If you take your finances, And stick it in front of you. Do people see Jesus in you? Here's the thing about us sometimes. I can see Jesus if I look in the right spot. If I look there on Sunday mornings, that hour and a half, I can see Jesus. Oh, I heard them play a worship song in their car. I can see Jesus. Jesus. But sometimes we get things in front of our lives and people can't see Jesus in us. It's not until we get Jesus throughout all of us and we say, Lord, I am a follower of you. I want people to see me. And you all the time. I want people to look at me, and no matter where they look, no matter what side they look, I want them to know that I am a follower of Jesus. Stop putting it off till tomorrow. I'm not saying it's time to say, Yeah, Jesus, come into my life. I'm not saying, Jesus, yes, you are Lord. I'm saying, You need. To recognize? Are you a fan or a follower? How often do people see Jesus in you? We're going to open up the altar here in a minute. It's time for you to make a decision. How much Jesus do you want in your life? Are you a fan or a follower? My name is Pastor Luke, and I am not a fan. Father God, we thank you for sending your Son for us. I am so thankful, Lord, that you grade on the cross and not the curve. I want to be a follower, Lord. I want people to look at me all the time and know that you're in my life. That you're a part of me. God, I don't want to be just a fan. I don't want to be just an enthusiastic admirer. I don't want to put on the jersey just for a little bit and then go home and take it off. We want you all the time, Father. Change our lives so we can go out and change the world. We ask this in your heavenly, most gracious name.